All right, we're here with Mr. Greg Hill. Greg, how are you doing? I'm good, man. How's it going, Dale? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Catching up a couple of days ago with you on the phone, and uh, you was telling me about some of the stuff uh, you've been up to the last couple of months. I've been checking your stuff out on Instagram, so I thought it was a good time for a quick uh, quick little podcast catch-up, and uh, yeah, maybe share some of the stuff that uh, you've been up to. Cool. Yeah, for sure, man. Shoot away, and I'll I'll do my best. All right. So I, I guess first thing is, you know, as, as we talked about probably about when we did our podcast, uh, you're now doing the remix things. How's things going with that? And uh, obviously, you've been out at the races yep. again. So yeah, give us a little update on all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, the remix BMX is going well. Um, I think last we talked, I, w- I was just getting involved. I believe um, roughly. Right around beginning of March, the the brand was was taken over, purchased by uh, Dale Robinson, a good buddy of mine. And um, so, really, it's it's uh, the best way to really explain it. We're just planting seeds and going out there and showing up at the nationals. Got a good pit area, um, you know, a good display area. Just got the product on display. Got a lot of uh, riders in our kind of core circle that are using the product, and you know, we're just I mean, we're going to Vegas next week, so we're in the whole mode of just trying to get it established. You know, it's been around for a few years, but they weren't the previous owners weren't really doing a whole lot with it, and uh, now it's it's just got to keep showing up. You got to keep showing up and and keep being there. You know, week in and week out. That's kind of what we're doing. So yeah, and you guys have got a pretty cool setup. I'm seeing your uh, your pit setup. I always like to check everybody's stuff out whether i'm at the race or not but i've been uh you guys have got yeah cool clean looking uh setup so you must be getting some uh good traffic during the race weekend right yeah we 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 just you know we kind of wrapped the van we got two tents we got a lot of good display stuff um depending on the venue and what we can do and can't do we've we've got a couple big screen tvs that we kind of play stuff on we just try to make it to where when people walk up and they look at everything that you know, they can grab a brochure. They can see the wheels. We got them on some wheel stands. They can pick one up off the table. There's bikes on display and just really answer questions and kind of just educate people on what Remix is all about. And, uh, I think, I think after a good solid 12 to 18 months of doing that, it's going to be pretty, it's going to be good. Cause even right now, I think people really are just now starting to say, Hey, Remix, what is that? Mm-hmm. I've heard of you guys. What, what's up? You know? Mm-hmm. So it just takes time, but it's all good. The product is real good. And fortunately the product was, in my opinion, it was just spot on and, uh, just, it just needed to be get, get put out there in front of people. It just needs exposure basically. Yeah. I understand. And you obviously you're carrying on doing your, your speed seminars. I see you, uh, you're actually in a hotel now in Texas. So I guess, yeah, tell us a little bit about where, where you are at the moment. I know you were somewhere yeah. else last week as well. So it seems like you're, you're on the road yeah, a lot as well, right? Yeah, it's pretty busy right now. I've I've been decided in uh, March, I guess in February, I decided that I was going to hit the the clinic trail. I always do clinics, done them for about twenty five years, and I'll usually do uh, on average every year maybe ten two day clinics a year. Like I will usually my two day or consist of five hours each day of just covering all the subjects. But in uh, February, I kind of knew the whole remix thing was brewing. And I kind of had, you know, it's a, a lot of people don't know the, the whole situation and don't have time to get into it now, but shutting GHP down and getting that behind me took a lot of emotional energy, you know? Mm-hmm. So the last year and a half, I didn't teach as much as I wanted to. 
Um, so I was like, you know, what? I'm going to dive in head deep, head first, and uh, and I'm going to teach and promote remix, promote teaching, and and just get out there and it gets my finger on the pulse as well. I get to kind of meet people all over the place. Like you said, I'm in Austin, Texas now at Central Texas BMX and hanging out a hotel, just chilling, and that uh, feels almost kind of like race days, except I'm I'm not. <laughs> you, know, you get fifth in my semi and I'm all pissed or, or you, or you, one day you win the next day you're, you suck. It, it, right. it was, it's just kind of chill. So it's cool. Yeah. That's what one thing. Call, call, call call, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, you hear about certain people when they retire, they, they, they can't yeah. go to, or they don't make it. They got to get out of there or like, but when you really right. are retired from racing and you get to go to nationals, um, you know, whether you're a team manager working or, or whatever, I, I thoroughly enjoy going to the majority of the races because you don't have that yeah. that stress of being a racer and, you know, going up for the semi and what laying out, you know, all the stuff you go through as a racer. Right. I really enjoy it all now and, and, and be a real fan now. But there is some people that, yeah, they, they can't eat after their pro career. They, they don't want to be at the track or they're. They're mad that they're they're not racing anymore. I mean, what? How how do you feel when you, right. do you thoroughly enjoy a race weekend um, now without that race pressure? I like I like going to the races. It's it's like I when we do an event with Remix for me, it feels like a trade show at a BMX race. Yes, so you're, you're you're talking to people and you're explaining mm-hmm. the product and and they walk away. It's just like a trade show. And then someone comes up and says, "Hey, what's up?" And then you're like, "Boom!" Hit the reset and then talk about it again. Right. And it's all good. It's cool. But what's cool about not racing, at least for me, my perspective is I kind of left my body on the track. Right. So, you know, I feel like I'm in good shape and, and all that good stuff. But, you know, if you look under the hood and, you know, you're missing some cartilage in the, in the knee and you had shoulder surgery here and your lower back, you get what I call BMX back. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you can only use so many sprints and gates before you just, your back just starts to feel it. So now, it's cool because I go to the track and I don't want to race. I, I did a little bit in the 46 X, but that was three years ago. I'm totally cool. Not racing. Mm-hmm. I, if we eat at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, I don't care. Right. Like if we're racing, it's like, dude, I got to eat at a certain time. I got to eat that certain stuff. I got to yes. do this. I got to do that. Yesterday I got podium and I took a certain route to the track. We're going the same way today. I'm going to park <laughs> in the same spot. You know, I don't give a crap anymore. Right. <laughs> I don't care anymore. Yeah. It's just, um, I really enjoy watching other people chase their dream. And, and, um, so many of the kids that I have worked with, they'll be there and they'll be, Hey, what's up? I'm in moto such and such. Can you check me out? And you know, it's cool. It's cool when you can be able to participate on that level. It's pretty fun. How's the, uh, the, like I say, you are, you know, I know you do your regular, you do regular clinics at Whittier once a week, right? Yeah. Every Wednesday night, unless, I'm out of town or something, but I, I, I try not to miss too many, but it's every Wednesday night from six to eight at Whittier Narrows BMX. And now do you have the same, I know Maddie Descentant who rides for me, she does stuff with you sometimes. Do you have the kind of the same well, kind we, of crew or is it different, different people every week? Um, basically like Maddie was coming, I was going to see me for about six months. Right. See me Valley Sycamore BMX. Stop doing that and just focus on Whittier now. And usually I'll have at least half of the same people. Like, you'll, there'll be people I recognize. They'll come, like, every other week, or they'll come two weeks in a row, then they won't be there. Mm-hmm. And so if we have 12 or 15 people, half of them are usually there mm-hmm. every week, or they rotate. But I pretty much, it's very rare when someone shows up, and I don't know who they are. I haven't seen them, you know? Right, right. So it's kind of cool, because after a certain time, you kind of get a feel for what someone's working on. And when you only have two hours, it's like an ongoing situation, you know, where 
you're you're just okay this person's back it's been two or three weeks but you know what i know what i know one of the things they're working on it just makes it easy to mm-hmm. kind of reconnect with them yeah. you know mm. so it's fun it's cool yeah. and it's an you have two hours you you you're hard pressed to solve a lot of problems in two hours but if you have two hours this Wednesday and they come back next Wednesday, pretty soon you're on to the next problem. You've solved some, you, you, you're solving issues and moving on to the next problem, which is great. Yeah. Now, and I mean, you, you, I remember when, when, uh, the last couple of years when Kyle, you know, you was, when, when Kyle went from free agent and, and went to you, you guys were doing, you and Kyle were doing some stuff overseas as well, weren't you? I remember in Europe, you did like a little tour and stuff. Do you still do any, yeah, any we, stuff overseas or anything or? I haven't been the last time I taught overseas was in, uh, I think it was 2000 was Birmingham in 2012. Yeah. yeah so when you car went out there, once yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It seems like it was yesterday, dude. It's been already. I six know. Years. Yeah. We, we, I asked Kyle, I'm like, you want to go to the world? Cause we're a small company, GHP. So yeah, I want to go. I'm like, do you mind teaching? It'll be easy. I'll, I'll set the table. You just have to just show up and be Kyle, you know? Yeah. He's like, yeah, no problem. So dude, we did a clinic in, in Germany. We had 68 or 70 people. Wow. And that, that pretty much paid for, for everything it yeah. paid for our trip there. And he went to race and we went, we went from there to, uh, to London and drove over to Birmingham and it was cool. And, but, but I haven't taught overseas since then. I really like to, I want to, but there seems to be so many people doing it. And there seems to be a lot of, sometimes there's some red tape. I was trying to go to Australia a few years back and, and the guy that was trying to help me, a guy named Phil K, he was our distributor for GHP. He said, I want you to come. People want you, but there's a whole lot of red tape. And the Australian BMX wants to know that, yeah, they want you to have their license and this license and that. you got to be <laughs> certified and a coach has to sign you off and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I let's just it. can that deal right now. All <laughs> I want to do is go, all I want to do is go teach people. We, but if I have to go through all the political garbage, right? It just kind of gets away from, I want to teach, dude, the gate drops. You're going on the red light. You're going on the red light if you're in Argentina, France, Florida, <laughs> Sydney, Australia. It don't matter. You're going on the red light. You're gone. There's jumps. There's turns. It's BMX. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not that difficult. You know? Do you think there's any, because obviously there's so many, you know, um, coaches, trainers. I mean, you, you see it on Facebook all day long. Everyone's got a different pitch. Or, yeah. Or, um, is there any way to like police that, or I guess there's, there's, they're, yeah, not, they're not at the moment, but do you think that could be a, something they need to do eventually when you see, I mean, I, I, I read a lot of the posts, uh, from the, and I'm like, I really have no idea who this guy is, you know, that's doing a, a I, I, I see every week, every, every single week. And you know, it's funny. I mean, I'll say this right now. I'm going to get totally thrashed for saying this, but I'm not going to say it anyway. I, um, <laughs> taught forever. <laughs> That's just my motto. Okay. So when I die and on my tombstone, let's say this dude knew this was going to be an issue, but he said it anyway, <laughs> just send it, you know, but <laughs> I taught forever without a license. Right. I don't want to be a jerk, but it's like, okay, here, here's the license that I like to, to I want to learn from Dale Holmes. Cause he's won a bunch of races and a two time UCI pro world champion. I want to learn from Christophe Lebec or I want to learn from Connor Fields. I want to learn. You, you don't have to have been a champion to be a good teacher. That's proven. Mm-hmm. But I'd also like to learn from Ivo or from Sean Dwight or from uh, a multitude of coaches that have been there and know what's up that know the game, you know, like Basta Beaver, you know, like mm-hmm. he, he's a coach. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't, and no disrespect, listen, there's no disrespect to anybody. I, I don't want it to sound bad, but I don't really want to have to 
jump through the same hoop that Bob Smith, who has a 12 year old expert kid who's won some races and went off and took his test and got a mm-hmm. coaching license. And now he's a coach. I don't want to be in that group. Right. I feel like that's just really not, there's no real, um, it's just a wide open deal. I, I'm in room 301 at the Best Western. I can get up, walk down the hall with my laptop, knock on the door. Whoever answers it, we could log into USA BMX. I could get that dude his license. He could get his license. Mm-hmm. All he'd have to do is just study for a little bit. He could he could be a coach. Don't even know what BMX is. My neighbor could be a certified coach. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally that's agree. That's the way it should be. Yeah, no. Um, let's talk a little bit about, and this is one of the main reasons I want to do this podcast, Greg. I saw that you was doing, um, and I, I don't know Ted Bailey, but I, I've listened to him a little bit on Rail the Burn when he's been on there, and I've, I've read some of his posts. So I can tell he's kind of a yeah. mid-schooly type dude. And uh, you went over there and did yep. a camp with Ted last week. So for everybody that doesn't know who yep. Ted Bailey is and what he does, at, I think it's called Rebel BMX, just give us a whole, yeah, give us the the whole scoop on the whole Ted Bailey deal. Because uh, I think it's pretty cool okay. what he does out there and uh, definitely worth sharing his story. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually, to be honest. I, I So I had never met Ted prior to last weekend, but I have talked to him on the phone and communicated with him over the years. Just was going to come to a clinic before, but for whatever, it didn't work out. And just just knew he was an old school guy. But So I, I think he's very misunderstood, and I learned this by firsthand going there last weekend. He has a track in Monroe, Louisiana. It's an indoor um, he banned clips. You can't use clips. Now, let me front load this with, I'm not saying, hey, clips suck. If you use them, you're a horrible person. What I'm saying is, is, is that this guy banned clips because he wants to focus on getting kids to learn how to ride their bikes and learn the skills and get that skill set before they go to that next step. Mm-hmm. And he just got to, from, from these are my conversations, I think you um, probably have planned or should do a podcast with him so he could speak on this. Mm-hmm. But I really think his whole thing is, Hey, I want to provide, I want to make sure that when a kid starts racing, he gets off on the right foot, learns how to balance, learns how to ride, learns how to jump, learns how to pass before he clips in. So you're not, you know, like, like you've heard it and I've heard it and many others. It's like, Hey, my kid's been racing for like four and a half weeks right now. And I think we're going to get him clips because we got to get him to go faster. Well, that's what we don't want. We don't want people getting on clips when they're only a month into the sport, two months into the sport. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's decided to make his track. No clips. He told USA BMX. They, um, from what I, I understood, they highly recommended he didn't do it. Um, this whole part right there, you should talk to him about because I don't want to misquote him. I just know that he was pressured to not do it, and he did it. So his track is the number one track in Louisiana. He gets the highest moto count and signs up to the most new members. I mean, you can't do it. It's going to hurt you. It's going to this. You can't have a state race. You can't have a Gold Cup final. You can't blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, cool. We'll have a Rebel BMX series, and uh, we'll do a six-week series. Well, that went really well. He's the number one track. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It works. I went and did a clinic there. I usually have to ask tracks, um, you know, hey, we're doing a two-day clinic. It's 100 bucks for 10 hours. It's really in-depth. Um, do you think we can get 20 people? 
had to do that for the last 15 years, 15, 16 years ago. I didn't have to do that. I had to tell people, Hey, we can only take 30 people mm-hmm. and that's it. Sometimes 20 years ago would be like, I can only take 30 people because I wanted to have this be manageable. Mm-hmm. Well, we got like 58 people, 58 people. Okay, cool. Let's make, let's make two days and two days. I'll stay for four days. I can't teach 60 people. Mm-hmm. So, but now, now it's not like that. So I went last weekend and taught there with like 36 people. Oh, wow. I was like, you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to the track, I get there, it's indoor. It's, it's a big, a big right hand sweeper with the back straight with a right hander, then a left hander. So it's a U inside of a U no 90 degree T bone type style deal. Um, on the third straightaway, there's a decision maker. There's like a, a roller with a table and two, uh, two sets of doubles. And then on the left side, there's a water hole, dude. There's like a <laughs> full on water hole. It's got like plastic in it, water, everything. And it's awesome. And when you first look at it, you're like, whoa, dude, we just stepped back in time. Right. But then when you're doing, when, when I'm there, I'm teaching a clinic. I'm, I'm working with kids that are, they're all, they're all pretty good, but there's, there's a lot of riders that are, are new or only been racing for six months and you no know, we're working turns and passing and people are going for it. They're like really riding. They're like not afraid. They're not single file in it. They're like, they're not stuck to their bike. So they, they, to me, it felt like there was a, bit, a better comfort level for these kids that were basically learning the, the entry level things, you know, and mm-hmm. they didn't have that stigma of being tied to their bike. So it was a pretty big eye-opening experience for me. It was, without a doubt, one of the best clinics I've ever done. And the, the attitude of the riders and everybody were super grateful. And, uh, you know, and I didn't go in there telling them, well, I know you guys are on flats, but, you know, I didn't like paint that as a bad picture. I just said, props to you guys. You're all on flats. Ted, good job. You guys are, you're really making a stand here. And after spending the weekend with him, I know that he's not standing up saying, hey, you know, screw clips. You know, it's not about that. What he's saying is, "Hey, man, we're putting the we're putting the B back in BMX. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we're not we're not doing the the velodrome time trials racing. We're we're going for it. And and it was really cool. I just I think it's awesome. And I, and the reason why I wanted to to, to to shout what he's doing out so people could hear it is because it, it should be talked about mm-hmm. and it's not talked about. So I haven't. And maybe I've missed it, but I haven't opened up any magazines or looked on the internet and I don't see anybody talking about it. It's almost like on the down low. Mm-hmm. Hey man, this guy has a track and he banned clips and you know, we don't want nobody to know about it because it's, it's actually working. So let's not talk about it. Like nobody's talking about it. Yeah. It's like, that's... dude, you can't go to his track and ride with clips. If you show up at his track, with clips on your bike, you're going to walk in and you're going to be told, Hey, uh, yeah, you can't ride the track. Why not? Uh, cause clips are banned here. We don't use clips. Either put flat pedals on or don't go. Hmm. This is how it is. I was listening to, uh, and, no, go, go ahead. I'll, I'll add mine at the end. No, no. I, I, yeah. What? For me, I just thought it was a really cool experience. It really opened my eyes and it made me think, you know what? I, I travel to so many tracks. I do a lot of teaching and it's common everywhere I go. People are, are apprehensive because their feet are stuck to the pedals. I see way gnarlier crashes. I see really hesitant when it comes to uh, committing to making the pass or 
some kids are commit are, are really hesitant out of the gate because they're a little nervous on their timing. They're not positive. So last thing you want to do is hit the gate when they're clipped in. It just seems to me that, okay. Um, I know that if I go out in the parking lot here and do five sprints, flat pedals and five sprints with clips, I know that when I'm on clips, my times are going to be faster. So let's say we go out in the parking lot and I have, you know, flats and you have clips and you beat me by half a bike length and then I put clips on and now we're even. And uh, let's just say that was the deal. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we're both even, can we just make a gentleman's agreement? Hey, man, don't you want to ride with flats? We have a lot more freedom with flats. So if we both are on flats, then nobody has that advantage anymore. Clips mm-hmm. are only an advantage if one guy has them and someone else doesn't have them. And if that one guy has that skill level to support using them, then you see, but if, if we went to the next pro series race and you told all the elites, Hey, you know, you can't use clips. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're going to see the same results. Same dudes are going to be winning. Mm-hmm. Same guys are going to be losing. Same guys are going to be winning. So why, why are we doing it? Cause the quality of racing. Now I don't know about you, but, but I'll take a John purse, Brian Foster, grudge match any day of the week over <laughs> watching, you know, Corbin Shira and Connor Fields chase each other around the track. Right. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I just, I just like the physicality of how racing can be when you're clipped in. So, yeah. I mean, when you're on flat pedals. Well, I was listening to rail the broom, um, second name check for them this time, this, this podcast, but, um, um, <laughs> they, they had a French guy on last week. And if you listen to it, there's a guy that does, uh, nice. makes the uh, barrel gates. I think I don't know if even barrel, but he made a gate guy that's out here on, on some kind of tour, putting in gates around the U S and, uh, I guess he's, uh, affiliated with those rail burn guys. And, uh, he was talking about in France, which I kind of knew, but I wasn't quite sure. I didn't know if that was a, that, that was a few years ago, but I guess it is true. I think it's 12 or 13 and under are still on, uh, you have to be on flat pedals in France before you can, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's thirteen. Yeah, see that that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, it it makes partial sense to me. At least if you're a young person, you have to learn all the skills associated. What do you do when you know? Um, I don't know. Let's say you're 35 years old and you've got a a 12 year old son. You go get into BMX and you want to start riding. You're 35 years old. You don't know the sport. You probably don't need to be clipped in. You know, you shouldn't have that option to be clipped in. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe, maybe it, it, it's just something that 12 and up experts are able to use. And, but if you're an intermediate, you're not clipped in. Mm-hmm. You know, I just feel like, <clears throat> I kind of feel like this after going to Ted's track. I know a couple years back, like, I think it was 07 and Gary Hazelhorse did this thing in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, he brought all these pros and did this, this, this get gathering with Bob Osborne and myself and a bunch of guys. Right. And a lot of the guys that came, it was in Phoenix, then didn't do a BMX race in years, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my buddy, Greg Esther, he watches the races and he's watching the races and he's like, Greg, this is stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, dude. And he's like, no, it's really dumb. And I'm like, all right, I get it. I get it. You know, but he gets home and he starts a, a thread on uh, <laughs> Facebook call, or somewhere called Clips Suck. And it was just way crazy, right? <laughs> and, and and I don't know if you remember that or not, but it got out of hand. It was just crazy. Everybody's getting pissed off. I mean, they had one in England. Is, yeah, England had the same. One of the message yeah. days would have long clip threads. <laughs> right. So what, what happens, I think, is people just want to 
sweep it under the carpet. Let's not talk about it. I think it's time to pull it back onto the table again and ask ourselves, do we want BMX to be what BMX is? Or do we want it to be more like Billadrome cycling? And I think that if anybody wants is being honest with themselves, um, you'll know that flat pedals are are really better for BMX than clip pedals. I really believe that the health of the sport would be better if everybody was on flat pedals. Because look, if you pull into the track and I have my ten year old kid and you have your ten year old kid and my kid has a three thousand dollar bike and clips and clip shoes and all this stuff and your kid's on a regular bike with flats, you look right off the bat, there's like, whoa dude, my my equipment's not good enough. And I and what are these clip pedals? It's like, well if we're both on flat pedals, at least that's that's great. That's a, that's the way it used to be. And it and it and, and it used to not be broken. So why did it get fixed? And it's just like and and this is the this is the this is the end of the end all of my clip flat pedal discussion. <laughs> and if people don't understand or agree with this, then they don't get it and they absolutely need to educate themselves on this. So here's the deal. In nineteen ninety four I was in Burbank and I was at a national and I watched Mike King and Brian Lopes clip in. Mm-hmm. Love those, love those guys. Got nothing but respect for them. But quite frankly, these two guys, when it come main time, they made a lot of mains, and when they made their mains, they usually mid packing. And I'm not saying that me, but you can look through the history books, and you won't see that Brian Lopes won a whole ton of BMX nationals, and you won't see that Mike King won a whole ton of BMX nationals. Quite honestly, they didn't. But they clipped in, and on Saturday, they got first and second. And on Sunday, they got first and second. And guess what? After that weekend, most guys clipped in. Guess who wasn't winning anymore? Those guys went right back to where they were. It might have took a few months, but once everybody was all in, it was an equalizer. And now they're back to getting fourth and fifth again. So where's the advantage? I know from, and why do it? At, I know from my perspective, uh, my, you know, I'm in the middle of my um, camp season right now with my YMCA kids, and it's obviously very grassroots. A lot of these kids have, you know, some of them are, you know, new at riding bikes, and obviously a lot of the kids that come to my camps are, are new at the BMX track. So, um, you know, for us, we're all all on, you know, it's very raw, basic BMX, you know, fun. But um, I think, you know, during the week, you know, you get to see the kids ride a lot, and obviously you see quite a few tip overs and um you know a few of them do crash quite regularly you know some of the kids just you know they crash right you know so uh sure and, absolutely and obviously it's uh it's pretty cool when you can uh you know during my camp i don't know your camp's great but we we play foot down and uh yeah still still awesome. still a lot of fun you know so uh yeah i couldn't uh you can't you can't, you can't do that clip in <laughs> right yeah I, i'm sure they have and they do but, but uh I, I know it's a lot of fun the way we do it anyway you know it's uh with just for these right. kids that can just just basically just started to ride bikes a lot of them you know and uh yeah, right. a lot of real fun, you know. So, <clears throat> I I think that I think that the topic should be pulled back up, and I think people should discuss it. And I think I think that, in my opinion, USA BMX should look at it. And I really believe that at this time right now, so 2008 till now, what do we have? Ten years of following the UCI model. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it's working. Like, I mean, if you look at the last ten years and find out what's really happening to our sport. I don't, I think 10 years is a a big enough window to have the information base to, to sift through, to actually say, Hey, has this been good or bad? 
man, get rid of the clip pedals, get back on flat pedals, make racing exciting again. You know, I'm pretty sure vans as a company, well, I kind of know this. I know this to be true. Um, they'd get involved in BMX again. If people were racing on flat, on flat pedals. Mm -hmm. So, um, that wouldn't be a bad thing. That would be cool. I'm pretty sure if you asked every single elite rider, if they went back on the flats, as long as everybody else was using them, would they mind? I'm sure all of them would be into it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, it's definitely, again, I think it's USA BMX instead of saying, well, you know, the UCI standards and, you know, UCI Supercross and the worlds and the Olympics, you know what, dude, BMX, you can argue about where it was started, but it was, it was, it was, uh, the inception of BMX happened here. It could happen in Europe as well, but it grew the largest in the United States and it grew under a certain model. It worked. Mm -hmm. That model will still work today, mm -hmm. even though you have more distractions and more options for people to still, the model will work today. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, definitely and, uh, a lot of, I think it's something to be I think it's definitely a lot People of should look at it. a lot of food for thought. And I, I you know, I, I, I wrote something a couple couple of weeks ago on Instagram. I, you know, uh, about the, the the eight meter hill. And obviously, you know, you're not a fan, Greg. I'm not a fan. Um, so I started a post, and you know, Liam yeah. Phillips is now the you know is involved in the UCI, and um, he, he, yeah. the thread got pretty busy. And he, he came on actually just a couple of days ago after the you know the thread had already died down, but. You know, he he basically said, you know, the the the, the eight meter hill is is staying uh, for the fact that a lot of people have invested um, a lot of money. You know, over, you know uh, these countries, governments have uh, spent a lot of money, and um, yeah, he said that right now that they're staying. You know, so um, you know, right. See, and this is to me, to me, this is unfortunate. So when you have a guy like <clears throat> I never met him, okay, so. He might be a great guy, but when you have a guy like Liam Phillips, who's willing to put his personal belief system aside for a paycheck, that doesn't help the sport. Mm -hmm. um, is it really about the, the different countries that have invested in let's be quite real right now. How many, how many really are there? dude? What is there like six supercross races a year in the UCI? How big is that series? Is there more than six? Uh, I think there's there off the top of my head. I think there's three or four weekends. You know, you got a couple Holland, Belgium, Argentina, and uh, I think they did one in France this year. So uh, four weekends, eight. So races. in the in, in the in the course of the whole year, you're saying there's four UCI Supercross races, World Cups. Yeah, four weekends, eight races. World Cup then, races. Then you got the Worlds, and obviously eight races. Yeah, World Championships, and uh, obviously you got <clears> all the uh, UCI yeah. affiliated races that do it on the on the big hill as well. And they've just built one of these tracks in China, which was uh, right. You, you see the pictures. So they're, they're continuing to build them. At right. least I would say stop building them. You know, and maybe try well, some it, big races I mean, on a regular track. It, there's there's not enough races to support that comment that there's there's a lot of countries who've invested no there's not a lot of countries that have invested in that you know the second thing is you got people like tracks like up in canada i don't know the exact name of it maybe someone who would listen to this can fill us in but there is a track in canada that was probably i think the best as far as numbers go the most riders and they converted their track to a supercross style eight millimeter five millimeter hill and all of a sudden they don't hardly get any motos. I mean, they're, they're like, I know because I have a lot of people in Canada that I know that I've worked with that have been up there to train and, and then they fill me in. They said the track is really hurting them and it used to do great. Mm -hmm. You know, like the average kid doesn't want to go down. I, I did a clinic today, uh, this track that I'm at right now. It's a beautiful track. 
it has a five mil five meter starting hill. Mm-hmm. You know, ev- everyone's not in love with it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what well, would be nice for so, some? Uh, what would be nice for somebody that wants to put the time is, is is really do some research on 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 these tracks around the world. How many of these tracks there are, and then how how much use those tracks are getting per week? You know, year round, right? You know, you know off season. The off well, season, you the- can you can look at Sarasota and you can look at Oldsmar. They're both basically upside down. Mm-hmm. Those tracks don't support themselves. Those they're building they're building. Uh, they have a huge investment on a starting hill that less than 1% of the BMX race population can use. So I guess what I'm saying is, is guys like Liam and, and, and guys like uh, Donnie Robinson, who, who now works for USA BMX and other people that are, that are in there, you got to hang on to your roots, man. And you got to basically kind of fight for, for BMX, for what BMX is, you know, and not just conform to what UCI wants. Cause last I checked to this day, I still know that UCI really don't know what BMX is. Mm-hmm. They don't, the heads of UCI probably don't give two hoots about BMX. Like they don't, they don't really know the sport, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, I, we're talking about UCI. We're talking about Europe. We're talking about, here's what I'm talking about. Why are we not talking about Garrett Dose? Why it does anybody in Europe, as the person who was a non-racer have more experience than him? No. Mm-hmm. And why isn't he involved in these things? So I just feel like there's something, there's stuff to talk about. And that's what I, 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 I did. In, you know, that's what I said to Liam. We went back and forth on a couple of things. And I was like, you know, if you guys are ever out here in, in the U.S., you know, the riders representatives, the UCI, I think they, they, them guys obviously talk among themselves at the World Cups, which is probably the same group of coaches and guys from you know national teams and stuff so obviously they're getting the same guys doing the same information that are all you know a lot of them are good right. people and a lot of them are our friends but i think a lot of them are still maybe you know on on the payroll f- and, and going to say certain things and they're not going to rock the boat uh on cer- right. certain uh you know subjects so uh, as i said to liam anyway right. says you guys are ever out here you know in the u.s you guys come out for the grands or you i don't know you know a, a future race or that around i'm down for a round table with some of those guys you know and i'm sure it would be good if right you could get a bunch of you know people with different views um sitting around the table and i think that would i be. i think that that <clears throat> that needs to be discussed and talked about and um i just think there needs to quit that we need to quit having like it'd be such a taboo thing like why is it not healthy and good for industry to get around and talk about the direction of our sport. I think a couple of years ago, Brian fell did something in Tulsa. I went and there was probably 15 different people, manufacturers and that, and no one would talk. Mm-hmm. Nobody would say anything. Nobody wants to lose their position, which well, I don't want to say anything because I want to keep things cool. I don't want to rock the boat. And then guys were talking about distribution. Well, how, we, we got to get the bike shops back in. Well, you get the bike shops back in when you stop selling stuff out of your back door to people at special bro prices. Mm-hmm. Nobody just, no one, there is no such thing as a customer anymore in BMX. Everybody gets the special price, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but there's no reason why we can't sit around and discuss this stuff and everybody kind of like, there's no committee and there's no talk and there, there's no, there's no putting it on the table. It's, it's just, here's what's happening. And if you want to be involved or in the sport, you're, you're going to go just kind of like go do your thing, but heaven forbid that you might have given your life to the sport and the industry, but you're not allowed to talk about stuff. 
mm-hmm. or you get blackballed or you get, you know, I, I don't, I don't care if, if you want to blackball me. I really don't care. I don't, I don't make like nobody who can blackball me affects my income. I'm not for sale or for hire. So I'm going to represent the sport and the people in the sport and talk about what I think is most healthy. And what I think is most healthy is get flats back on the bikes and have kids be able to ride the track again and learn skills and, and not have to hurt themselves at the degree that people get hurt when they're clipped in and, uh, and, and just get, put the B back in, you know, MX. Mm-hmm. motocross mm-hmm. you don't see guys on motorcycles clipping in you don't see <laughs> supercross guys clipping in this is bmx this is an extension of motocross and then we clipped in made a hard left and went right over to the villadrome track and to me that's not bmx mm-hmm. no definitely i think um... this will stir the pot i'm sure of it but <laughs> all i'm saying is you know i'm not insulting anybody i'm not saying that um that UCI, you know, is horrible and USA BMX is horrible. And I'm not saying nothing. What I'm saying is, is just get over yourself for a minute and discuss BMX at, from a hobbyist perspective and look at the history, everybody, and ask yourself, is this helping BMX? Okay. Whether it be clips or whether it be eight millimeter starting hills or whatever. And we all have a responsibility to discuss what's healthy for our sport because we all love it and want it to be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen. You and I can't just go to that meeting. That's going to be happening next month. Oh, why? Cause there isn't one. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's not even a table where you're trying to get a seat at. There is no table and there's no meeting. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of sad. It, it really is. It is where I think because you've got the UCI part, the you know the the World Cups, the World Championships, and then you've got like the industry side. You know, at least on the US part, kind of doing the USA BMX, and there's no, there's real, no real, um, you know, working together on anything. It doesn't seem like you obviously you've got right. a couple couple of sponsors uh, on the UCI side, uh, but in general, there's no, yeah, there's it's not like helping each other at all. You know, there's no integration. You know, right, so, and that's something that really you yeah know, could could help both both sides. I think you know, but. Uh, until that, totally. you know, round table talks happens, which I'm sure it won't, um, then yeah, uh, it won't, <laughs> it won't happen. It won't, it won't happen. So that's why I'm going to invite any track operator that's listening to this to simply reach out to Ted Bailey and ask him how he became the number one track in Louisiana, ask him how he gets so many people to show up at his track and just ask him what's up because apparently there's something he's doing that works and you know, he took a pretty hard line on it, but he did it and it works and no one wants to talk about it. And that's why I wanted I mean, to be honest. That's why we're talking. I, I wanted to reach out to you because I really wanted there's this guy needs to have his voice heard. Mm-hmm. I just think it's pretty interesting what he's doing. Yeah. And no, we definitely get, hopefully get Ted on, Ted on after this one and uh, get a bit more uh, yeah background on what you kind of, you've been telling us about. Um, Greg, this is going to be a quick podcast, as we said, but I did want to ask you a little bit about, and we've read about it, we've seen it, you have been at the last, you know, the the, the Nationals this year in the U.S., current U.S. pro racing domestically. Um, what's your thoughts on everything? And, uh, yeah, any, uh, yeah, yeah, it was your... Yeah, I, I think that um, 
Look, I mean, I'll just be real here, man. I, I just feel like pro BMX racing is a kind of sort of an all time low. There's, I went to Roseville and there just was like an open pro class. There wasn't any elite women. There wasn't any elite men. Uh, okay. Maybe that's wrong. I know Jake Peebles is an elite pro, but they were racing in a open pro format. So we didn't get to see, you know, the top riders, the, the top pros in our sport. Um, I don't know what the deal is. They still don't have a voice. They still don't get together. They still don't uh, try to fix their situation. I don't really know anyone who's making a decent living at it other than what three or four guys. And I wouldn't even say there's four guys. I bet there's, I bet there's a couple that are making a good living, mm-hmm. but I'll bet you people listening to this podcast right now can't tell me who the number seven pro was last year, but I'll bet you if I asked you, who the top 10 pros were in 1985. You could tell me, mm-hmm. but nobody can do that now. Mm-hmm. There's, there's none. I mean, there's like, it's really sad. And I see, I see pros standing on podiums with checks that don't have the numbers written on it. They don't have the amounts written on it. Why? Mm-hmm. We know why. And it's embarrassing. It's really kind of sad. So I think the pro class is probably an all time low right now. Um, there's, there's not a lot of opportunity for these guys, you know, if this, was, if this was your – t- no, go ahead. I'll ask you the question. Yeah, go, no, go for it. Go I was going to say, what would you guys have done in this situation? I mean, obviously, you're, I think in the 90s as well, a lot of you guys were vocal and, 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 you know, role models and, you know, everything that we read about in the magazines, videos, TV. We, we saw all that with you guys, and, and you guys had, you know, personalities as well, which we all loved, you know. Uh, right. If this situation was in, you know, 85, you know, between 85 and 90, what, what would you have done if you was, uh, you know, current pro racer? Um, you know, like I remember, I remember towards the end of my career, them talking about, you know, getting rid of pro cruiser and getting rid of pro open. And my whole thing was, Hey, you know, um, I raced cruiser for three or two or three years and, and we're trying to sell cruisers and, you know, I have sponsors that make products go on cruisers. So us being on the track is kind of helpful. Why do we want to remove that? Mm-hmm. And then us being on the track is more exposure. So why do we want to remove that? And, and fortunately they didn't, but, but now you, you don't have pro cruiser and you don't have pro open. You got 31 and over mixed open, but you don't have pro open. Mm-hmm. Why can Corbin Shira not use an extra 800 bucks for doing one lap in a main event in a pro open class? He can't use the money. I don't get it. You want to save yourself for the pro class, but you don't hardly make any money. And this isn't about Corbin. I'm not putting, but I mean, let's be real, man. How much money does the number five pro earn right now? I'll bet the guy who's number five doesn't have, have a sour. Who's the number five pro. Can you even tell me? I couldn't even tell who's you. Who's the USA I, BMX number five pro for 2017. I couldn't even tell you. It's uh, I could, you know, who's, I, the number, who's the number four pro. I would probably think Anthony Dean's three or four. I should okay. Know, Perfect example. Yeah. Anthony Dean doesn't have, and again, I'm not bagging on him, but I'm just being real right now. I don't. I would bet money that he doesn't have a sponsor that pays him a full salary, and he doesn't have the full benefits of, like in 1985, uh, I had 12 sponsors or 13 sponsors, and was going to all the races and was able to race 35 weekends a year. You know, mm-hmm. why am I making more money in 1985 than guys are making in 2018 racing a BMX bike? What does that tell you? 
And then someone say, well, you don't make as much as Connor Fields makes. Probably not. But, okay, so Connor Fields, who else? I'm listening. Who else? Who else? Maris Stromberg? Maris rides a rival frame. How much money could he possibly be getting for that? It's none of my business, but I'm willing to bet it's not as much money as GT paid me to ride their frame in 1982. I would bet my house on that. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is, is that if you're not on the track, then there's no visibility. It's limited. And now you don't have people running to the sidelines to watch. We were in Roseville and quite honestly, it was like, it felt like, and I'm, I want other people to chime in. Maybe, you know, when you post it on, on Facebook or Instagram, people can make comments. I didn't feel like it was super exciting in Roseville. There was good racing, but there wasn't any finale. There wasn't any like, all right, dude, the pros are coming. Like, you know, like Connor Fields is coming. Corbin Sherrod's coming. Let's go check this out. You know, there was none of that. So you don't have the heroes because they're not on the track all the time anymore. And they're not making the money. So it's like, who wants to really aspire to be a top five pro when the top, when the number five pro probably doesn't make any money. Mm-hmm. When you're getting all your expenses to go to these supercross races and you're traveling, you can't pay your mortgage with expenses. Okay. When you're getting your expenses paid for, that doesn't provide a living for you. It provides a travel opportunity. And if you go to a UCI Supercross race and there's, you know, 40 guys and you get fifth place in the main event, how much money did you make? I think the mentality, you, I think the mentality outside of the U.S., maybe the U.S. is still here a bit of, you know, yourself, people like, you know, the old timers and there's still quite a lot of people around and a few guys still actually making money. But I think in Europe, the model is uh, you ride for a national team, you get your expenses, like you just said, to the World Cups and everything. And then you get a right. level of funding depending on your UCI rankings, your World Championship placing for that year. And I think that model right. is is that's all they know. These younger kids now, that's all they know. I don't think they even... Uh, even aspire to make him maybe, maybe, maybe even making more money. I don't, I don't know, but I, I don't think that they, a lot of these guys don't know. Any better. Maybe yeah. that's the pinnacle for them, you know? Right. And, and, and I get it, but it's just, to me, it's like, Hey man, uh, that's, that's part of the equation. You, you having a team program and having funding and all that. But then when you go out on that track and you bust your butt, you should make some money when you do yeah. well. Well, I think you could take that, you, you should, know, you, you should know. be able to take advantage of both. You know, that's what I say. I say, you, you Absolutely. Get, take yeah. advantage of the national team, uh, support all these guys all around the world. You get, get everything paid and you know, all right. the, uh, all the stuff you can plug into through that Olympic, uh, side of it. But there's also, um, which obviously is low right now, but there's another side as well that you can, can work in hand with each other. You know, guys like, you know, a few guys are still Connor, Joris, uh, the Haro guys, Nick Long, you know, at least post, you know, uh, are probably the, the biggest names that are kind of can take advantage from both, you know, being on a national team and right. racing and, and making money to as maximum as much as they can in the U S you know? So yeah, there's probably like say right. like, less five, 10 guys, girls that are, that are doing, doing that model. I think a lot of people just don't even know right. about it or even care or they're so, uh, into the whole training and just limited races and, and world championships and Olympics, you know? Right. See, there's only one elite rider that, that the whole like, country team thing country support there's only one elite rider that that's working for only one in our whole entire sport that's it and you know who it is mm-hmm. it's mariana okay mm-hmm. you're talking about like a two-time gold medalist in Maris Strummers, and he i don't know that he has sixty-five thousand followers on instagram i think he might have a little less than that maybe he has sixty-five thousand. 
Mariana has over a million, man. I think she's, she's over close a million two, followers. I think. I think you're like two. One, last yeah. yeah, close. Right. Her country gets behind her. She's an absolute celebrity in her country. They're doing something right. But, you know, she's a hero in her sport over there and over here. Um, but in America, pro racing, to answer your question, the, the, the health of pro racing right now is really low. And I mean, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a, there, there's a lot of reason to turn, you know, 16 years old and be talked out of a pro career today, mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, early on in the sports development, you're 16. It's like, dude, I want to be pro. I can't wait. I want to go for it. And it's like, all right, man, well, give it a shot. You know, if you do well, you can do, you can make some money. Now you, you get into the main event. If you're a main event guy every weekend and you're finishing fourth, fifth, and sixth all the time, you know, some people might say, Hey, fourth, fifth, and sixth, that's not good. But let's face it. If there's like 60 dudes and you're getting fourth, fifth, and sixth, you're there, you're close. Mm-hmm. But unless you live at home with mom or, you know, live in a house where there's like six people paying rent, you know, you're, you're not supporting yourself. You're not, you don't have a mortgage in a house in a nice situation. You don't, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. There's no money in it, you know? And what's really worse is that when, when you can look at, at the health of pro racing and you could say, you know what? I make more money from clinics than anybody makes racing from their winnings. And pro- I don't care who it is. I make more money teaching my clinics than the number one pro makes in winning races every year for the last 20 years. I'll mm-hmm. make more money teaching than a guy is out winning races. Not from his sponsors, from his prize winnings. You know, I kind of had this so conversation. No, go, go ahead. It's just sad, dude. It's a, it's a sad deal, in my opinion. It's really, it doesn't need to be this way, but it is this way. It's just kind of sucks. Yeah, I think it's more stuff we can continue to, to, you know, I had a good chat with, you know, I've been doing my camp down at Chula Vista the last couple of weeks. So I've been talking to Tyler Brown down there, and another guy is just uh, puts in the work he's racing vet he's running the yeah. track he's doing right. clinics he's doing coaching he's all you know. BMX. Yeah, yeah he's working now with uh you know jamie staff and assistant to jamie he's doing doing all that stuff he's got a grassroots team he's got a, a tuesday night yeah. grassroots clinic like he is he is making it work and uh i right. think a lot of these pro riders is sit around or you, you see a lot of them grump oh prize money's bad and and and, and, and this and that but they, they've got to be creative on their side as well there is ways to, to right to, you, you can make market it, yourself yeah you can make it work you know like you say it's uh instead of just sitting there complaining you know and i think uh yeah whether right. them guys have communicated with usa bmx and trying to work with them or not, but there is ways to, to make money value for sponsors right. and, and do other things off track as well as on it. You know, I think Tyler Brown is a prime example right. that you can, can do that. You know, he's I a hard, think, hardworking dude I, that's uh, making it happen. You know, right. I mean, I look at, I look at Tyler Brown and I see him teaching a clinic. I'll see it on the, on the social media. I'll see him as a track operator. I'll see him doing something with the U S team. They're traveling. He's assistant coach or whatever, or he's hopping on his bike and, and winning a world title and, you know, in his class here and, you know, he's in all the way, he's taking responsibility for his, his life and his hobby and he's working it where, so you're, you're getting, you're getting out of it, what you put into it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but a lot of these guys just think, man, let me just get on Instagram and uh, <laughs> let me post some photos. Let me, let me, let me pop a wheelie and, and, and make it look cool and, and post it. And it's like, 
um, you got to do more than post a few pictures on social media to make it, you know, and the thing is, so these, the, this situation that, and all the things we're talking about, and I really think it would be great if we could all collectively come together to sit at the table, because I will say this: I don't think it's all USA BMX's fault that the pros aren't doing well. I think that USA BMX has had several cycles of adding more money, having sponsors, doing, doing certain series like the monster series they did and some other things. They've, they have a history of trying things, mm-hmm. but I think what, if I have to guess right now, I'll have to take their side on this deal and say, Hey, if I'm USA BMX, here's what I'm saying. Hey man, you guys don't want to race. You guys fought for a, a lighter schedule. Um, we, we throw these pro-ams up. No one shows up. Um, you know, um, you guys need to, like, talk to us. You know, approach us. Do mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. We're not just going to hand you, hand you money. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I were, if I, that's how I would feel if I was USA BMX. You yeah, know? no, and, uh, the pros yeah. might say, well, they don't listen to us. They don't listen. But that's not true. If all the pros went, you know... A lot of pros are in SoCal. It's not too hard to get to Vegas. I know they're not racing at the South Point, but I guarantee you if they wanted to meet up with USA BMX and do a pro meeting two, three hours over the course of the weekend somewhere, they would make time. They, they need to go to Phoenix and sit down or wherever, but the pros need to look at their situation and say, this needs some fixing. Let's roll our sleeves up and let's, let's go talk with USA BMX, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And I don't think they've mm-hmm. done that. No. So no. I can't really support them too much, the pros. And a lot of them might think, well, you're just an old blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I am. I am an old guy. And I used to get 400 bucks a month to run grab on handle grips. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who's getting paid any money to run handle grips right now? You know? And I'm just saying, and a lot of guys did. So it's <laughs> like, don't tell me I'm old. I already know that. But right. I mean, if we want to look at the facts, the facts are the pros they don't have a name right now. They don't have a voice right now. They don't really have much right now. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really a bum deal. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe me, then uh, just go to a national, watch a race. that's not a pro race. Go to a pro series race. Find the guy who got sixth place in the main. Ask him how much money he won. Mm-hmm. You know, usually you're at a job and you're working your butt off and you're not making enough money. You do one of two things. You quit and go get another job. Or you speak to your boss and say, look, dude, I'm busting my butt here, man. How can I make more money? How can you, how, what path can I, can you provide? Show me how I can advance here. What do I got to do? But, but the pros just don't do that. I don't, I don't think they do that. They need a voice. They need to, to, to get on it and, and have a voice. Just yeah, no, I uh, totally agree. Greg, what, uh, just oh. wrap it up. What do you, what you got coming up? So yeah. I said you got Vegas this weekend. Um, yeah, Vegas. Vegas this weekend, and then on after Vegas weekend on the 19th and 20th, it's Thursday, Friday, I have a two-day clinic up at Peninsula Indoor BMX in uh, uh, Washington, um, and I'm just, man, I'm just, I'm just pinning it this year. I got the throttle wide open, pushing remix, pushing the clinics, pushing the teaching, um, wanting to be progressive, want to I want to help BMX. I'm, I'm going to uh, Vegas and I, I had a really good talk with uh, John David in Bakersfield and that was cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, going to talk with them a little bit more. I just, I want to try to participate in the solution 
um, for the problem that is currently happening. And that is, you know, we don't have enough tracks and we don't have enough members and BMX is the best sport ever. It's mm-hmm. cool. When people learn about it, they love it. But all too many times people are like, well, what is that? I never heard of that. Mm-hmm. Was oh, that that ramp stuff? You guys are doing tricks? No, we're racing, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just, um, I'm all in. BMX is, is, is life and, uh, uh, it's cool. I love it. And, uh, going to keep busy so anybody any track operators who are listening sorry to make a commercial in the middle of your deal but no, i apologize for, for that no go but for I mean, it if there's any tracks that are listening that are interested in having a class it's just just hit me up just uh shoot me a message through instagram or uh, bmx speed seminars or you know email me greg hill 63 at mail.com but you know teaching is good and i would say this have a credible clinic teacher come to your track you know because the kids get in they get like such valuable information they get to apply it and 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 when you apply it and you get results you keep coming back you want to keep coming back Mm -hmm. absolutely greg hill thanks again greg hill has spoken and uh, we'll talk again soon i'm sure and get a hold of uh, i appreciate you taking the time i really do and get a hold of ted daily because Again, it's just fascinating, and I just want to say this real quick. You need to ask him about the nine-year-old kid who hadn't been to the track before, who in the first warm-up lap just lap came out of the second turn, got his sprint on, and went to, like, tuck and pump, thinking the water jump was a tabletop, <laughs> but it wasn't. Oh, man. <laughs> he went head first in the water, and it was pretty, it was pretty funny. But his story is cool. I think everybody will get a kick out of it. It'll awesome. Interesting. And, him, so. and if you listen to this, Ted, we'll be in touch soon. Greg, thanks a lot. We'll talk again. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks, guys. Take care, everybody. See Bye-bye. ya.